when I, this week, uh, I was talking to a couple of people who are looking for jobs. When's the last time you had to look for a job? Last week? year ago? It's been a long time for me, but I remember when I was a young teenager, and I would, uh, and even a young man, newly married and things, when I would look for a job, it would go something like this. I would get out there and start beating the streets, cold calling, knocking on doors, Basically, anybody that I thought might have a job, I would go to them and say, hey, do you have jobs? Are you hiring? And things like that. I even, one job that I got in my first job after we were married, we relocated to another state, and I literally was calling organizations, companies from the phone book. Now, a phone book, for those of you that don't know, just forget it, never mind. Um, Anyway, I've got a job by making phone calls from the phone book. So, when I had children and they got to job searching age, I thought, I'm, I'm experienced in this. I can coach them in how to go and find a job, right? Any parents, you're tuning in right now, aren't you? Right? If you got teenagers, young adults still living at home, you know, here, here's, here's the formula I gave them, all right? Get out of bed. First step, right? Write a resume and then hit the streets. Go from shop to shop or place to place, anywhere you think that might let you do something to make a living and get some money. Go and give them a resume and ask them for jobs. What do you reckon my kids told me? It doesn't work like that anymore, Dad. It's all online and blah, blah, blah and all that. So they said, your way doesn't work, Dad. So then the next morning I would say, get out of bed. How's your way working? Right? Right? Never mind, once again. How many of you are glad you didn't grow up in my house? (laughs) How many of you wish you hadn't grown up in my house? (laughs) You know, as uh, we consider looking for jobs, things like that, and we're going somewhere with this, I promise. But when's the last time you had to write a resume? When we write a resume, there are three basic components that we're putting in those for people to make a determination on whether or not we are the person that they are looking to hire. So you are saying things about yourself. So they're, they're looking at that. They're going to say, what, what does this person say about themselves? Then they're going to look at the body of evidence, the, the work that you've done, the jobs that you've had, your employment history, your education, the runs on the board, we'll say. Because you've said stuff about yourself, then you say what you actually have accomplished, and then they want some references. They want some people they can go to to find out if what you've said about yourself and the work that you've done, if that's really good or not, if it matches up. They want to ask some people. So, of course, we all know that resumes can be uh, embellished, and with the power of chat GPT, you can make your ordinary self look extraordinarily amazing and, and, and all of that. And right now, you're sitting there thinking, what in the world does this have to do with the Bible or Jesus, right? Anybody thinking that already? Well, today, we're going to unpack a massive claim that Jesus made, and we're going to look at his resume. Now, if you've missed any of the messages in the series so far, the series is taking a little bit of a shift for Christmas, but there's uh, five other messages already. Go to our website, go to the app, go to YouTube, all those places, like them, share them, watch them over and over again. Uh, because that will help make your life better. But today, we're going to investigate this claim that Jesus made. Jesus said, 
The Father and I are one in John chapter 10, verse 30. Paraphrased, Jesus is saying, I am God. That's what he's saying in that statement. Now, you need a little bit of context to understand why he said that, why he said, I and the Father are one. So in verse 22, it says, it was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. Then it says, the people surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Tell us plainly. A few weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 10, and we used, looked at some figurative language that Jesus said about himself. He said, I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd. And we unpacked that a few weeks back. Now they're saying, just tell us. Just be straight with us. Tell us flat out, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one we've been looking for? Tell us in plain Aramaic. Some were curious, some were cautious, some were confused, and some were actually trying to trap him. Let's look at how Jesus answered. In verse 25, he says this, I have already told you, already told you this, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. Jesus is saying, look at my resume. Look at my resume. I've already told you, my words make it clear that I'm the Messiah. I've made that very clear. So the words make it plain. The words make it plain. He said, but my works also make it clear that I'm the Messiah. The works make it powerful. In Jesus' resume, he says, I'm very clear about it. I'm the Messiah, and the works I do back it up. They are powerful works. So let's unpack Jesus' resume and see if that claim is actually true, to see if it backs up who he said he was. Look at verse 28. It says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Back to that claim, I am God. Now, if we look at that, those verses there, that set of verses, we see him say, no one can take them away from me. Literally, in the ESV, it says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And then later on, he says, no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. He's saying, my hand, the Father's hand, same hand. Nobody can take them away. And that shows us a couple of things about Jesus and God the Father. It shows the unity between the Father and Son. And it all shows, also shows the omnipotence. He talks about how powerful that is, that no one can snatch him out of his hand. Now, some question whether this is where he says the Father and I are one. Is this actually a direct claim to being God? Did I paraphrase it correctly when I said Jesus was saying, I am God? Because this can actually mean a couple of different things. It could mean that they're one in purpose, or they're one in action. My behavior is the same, that kind of thing. That would be actually a valid interpretation. So to understand what Jesus meant, to understand why I'm saying that, he, that I paraphrase it, he says, I am God, 
We need to look at what his listeners heard him saying. Look at this. Once again, people picked up stones to kill him. Okay, there's a clue right there, right? If he's just saying, hey, I do the things God does. We're same in purpose and all that. Not sure that'd be worthy of people picking up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. His hearers heard Jesus say, I am God. That was clear based on what they heard. And it's also not the first time that they had heard this. Look at John chapter 5. It says this, so the Jewish leaders tried all the more harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. So they've already been through this before. They've already heard him declaring that he is God. John chapter 8, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. That's a habit of theirs. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Those two words, I am, comes from the Greek word esomai, which means to exist. And Jesus says here, I existed before Abraham. I exist before Abraham was born. Jesus is saying, I have existed for all eternity. He's using the same language that God used with Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 when God was calling Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses said, who shall I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them I am. The self-existent one is sent you. Jesus using the same title that God used there. When we think about the word, Jesus uh, words uh, in his claims to be uh, God. Look at John chapter 1, talking about Jesus when he came. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Verse 14. So the Word became human and made his home among us. So it's very clear that Jesus' own words and the fact that he was called the Word make it clear that he is claiming making it plain and simple to be God. Jesus is claiming in his resume, hey, I'm God. All right, so we've got that clear. Jesus' words, I would suggest to you, make it possible that this is true. Okay, he's making a claim here, and it's possible that that's true. But it's easy to say things about yourself, isn't it? I could stand up here today and tell you that I am a legendary AFL footballer. Yep, I could say that. Yep, somebody's laughing at me, right, okay, okay. You haven't seen me kick, you don't know. I could stand up here and say, I'm an accomplished musician or singer, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of you have heard that, those attempts. I could say a lot of things about myself, but does that make it true? I would suggest to you that Jesus saying those things about himself doesn't necessarily make it true. But if it is true, we need to pay attention to what Jesus said. See, words alone are not enough. Others even came before him claiming to be the Messiah. We have his words, but we need to examine whether or not he's got runs on the board. 
Whether or not the evidence backs up the words. Do the works match his words? Look in verse 37. Jesus actually invites this. He says, don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus says, come on, I'm up for the scrutiny. I'm putting it on my resume here. I'm God, and you can check me out. You can check me out based on the evidence of the miraculous works that I've done. 37 different miracles are recorded in the Gospels that Jesus did. And John tells us in uh, chapter 21, verse 25, that the world could not contain the books that would have to be written to record all of the miracles that Jesus did, all of the works that Jesus did. You know, I think miracle, though, I want to just give you a bit of a side note, because I think we don't understand miracles sometimes. We use that word maybe a little too loosely sometimes. I even used it uh, this week in a context that, maybe wasn't quite miraculous because miraculous means we're interrupting the forces of nature, okay? That's what a miracle actually is. It's like parting seas. It's like instantaneous healing, the lame walking, things like that. It's not, I'm driving around the plaza and I found a car park in the first minute, okay? Now, could that be God working in your life and making things happen? Sure, but I think it falls short of miraculous. So just be kind of careful there. And we're going to look at some of Jesus' miraculous works, and I think you'll get the idea. So Jesus said, look at my works. And I would suggest to you that while his words make it possible that it's true, his works make it probable. That's what we're going to find out here. Works give credibility to his words. And many of Jesus' words or works express his divine authority. First of all, when we're looking at Jesus' works, we're going to see he had authority in teaching. His works present themselves as authoritative. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus and his companions had gone to Capernaum, and he was teaching. And at the end of his teaching, it says this, The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. So we see that Jesus was a great teacher. It was with authority. It had impact. It was better than anything they had ever heard and different than anything he had ever, they had ever heard. Now, you could argue that, okay, so he's a great teacher. Does that uh, actually make him God? Well, that's a fair question. There are good teachers out there, maybe none with the impact Jesus had. But let's look at the next thing he had authority over. Jesus had authority over demons in the spirit world. In Mark chapter 1, uh, Jesus had reprimanded a demon, told it to be quiet and come out of the man. When that happened, it says this. It says, amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. If he, it has such authority, even, even evil spirits obey his orders. See, the teaching is attached to that. They're saying, where did this teaching come from? Even, he's such a great teacher, even evil spirits, even demons obey him when he speaks. So I would suggest that goes beyond good teaching. That goes a little bit beyond good teaching. Demons obey him. So that's pretty serious evidence towards he is who he's claiming to be. Now, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus uh, was casting out demons. He was healing people. 
And the Pharisees challenged him, which they, they always do, uh, and uh, pick up stones to throw at him, that kind of thing. And they said, you're doing this in the power of Satan. Well, Jesus flipped that on him and said, that doesn't even make sense. Why would Satan work against himself? Why would Satan cast out demons? So he said, I'm not doing that in the power of Satan, but if I'm doing it in the power of God, then guess what? The kingdom is right here in front of you. Again, a bold claim to being deity, to being God. So Jesus has authority over demons. He has authority in his teaching. He also has authority over sickness. Mark chapter 1, we see that uh, sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. There are at least 23 individual accounts in the, in the Gospels of Jesus healing. And some of those were healing for deliverance, again, from demons and things. And on several occasions, there were masses brought to him for healing. So there's no way to actually number the number, the, yeah, to number the number of people that Jesus healed. Because there's far too many, and it doesn't tell us uh, all the individual cases. Now, healing certainly gets our attention. We love a great story of healing because, especially the person that got healed, right, and their family. Uh, but there, there was one occasion that Jesus uh, healed someone as evidence of another authority that he has, that he has authority over sin. So see his resume's building here. This is the work section of his resume. We've got teaching, we've got demons, we've got sickness, and authority over sin. In Mark chapter 2, we have a paralyzed man, his friends bringing him to Jesus. And it says this. It says, seeing their faith, they had let him down through the roof, if you remember. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Look what Jesus says next. Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Jesus, before he healed the paralyzed man, said, your sins are forgiven. That got people's backs up, and they said, only God can forgive sin. Jesus claiming to be God. He's demonstrating now authority, and he said, hey, you know, you're more impressed with healing. What takes more power? So if I can heal this guy, will you believe that I can also forgive his sins? And then he did it. So he, said, he, he tied these together, sickness and sin, and he forgave sins. We also see Jesus has authority over nature. He has authority over nature. In Matthew chapter 8, we read a story about Jesus getting in a boat with the disciples, and they're going across the lake. Storm comes up. Jesus is taking a nap because he's tired, and they're freaking out. They think they're going to die. They wake Jesus up. Don't you care if we die? And Jesus gets up and says, hey, be still. And the storm calmed down. And then he told them they didn't have faith. Why were they so afraid and all of those things? And this is what the disciples did. So the disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. 
Jesus has authority over nature. Finally, Jesus has authority over death. He has authority over death. Pastor Justin's going to look next week at John chapter 11 where we see the raising of Lazarus from the dead. He also, in Luke chapter 7, raised a widow's son in Nain, and he raised the daughter of Jairus in Luke chapter 8. So he has authority over death. So he has all these authorities, pretty good resume. His words, his works are backing it up. But just in case we've missed anything on Jesus' authority, he says this in Matthew chapter 18, 28. Jesus came, told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So all those other authorities I have, in case there's anything else you've got a question about, I've got all authority. Jesus says, I am God. Look at my works. Hear my words. Look at my works. I am God. So his words are plain. They make it possible. His works are powerful. They make it probable. His resume is looking strong. Now let's check his references. John, after the, the resurrection of Jesus, he came back to hang out with the disciples a little bit, and he walked in the room one time, and there was a guy called Thomas there, and he said, I doubt that that's you. And Jesus said, stick your hand in my side. Feel the nail prints in my hands. And look what Thomas said after he did that. My Lord and my God. I would suggest to you that Jesus' witnesses make it provable. His words make it possible. His works make it probable. But the witnesses make it provable. At his birth, we see kings submitting to his authority. The wise men from the east that came a couple of years after he was born submitted to him as the king of the Jews, fulfilling Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. John the Baptist in John uh, chapter 1, verse 36, we see this. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He had his own following, but when Jesus came along, he pointed everybody to Jesus and said, hey, he is the one. I am not worthy. I must become less, actually, and he must become greater. In Matthew chapter 27, the scene is the foot of the cross, and it says this. The Roman officer and the soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the son of God. People that killed Jesus, as soon as it was done, said, uh-oh, this was God. This was God. In John chapter 1, where Jesus is coming on the scene and uh, getting his band of disciples together, People were first being introduced to him. There was a guy named Nathaniel. And he told Nathaniel when Nathaniel came, hey, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel said this, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Because he witnessed what Jesus had done. Even the demons that he has authority over testify that Jesus is God. In Mark chapter 1, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And finally, we have a prophetic witness. Jesus fulfilled over 300 different prophecies. And a very relevant example for this time of year, Isaiah chapter 7 says this, 
Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah prophesied that this was going to happen. And then Matthew, recording what actually did happen, said, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God here in the flesh. His witnesses make it provable. So what does all this mean? What does all this have to do with you and I today? I think that as we've examined Jesus' resume, if you will, it's fairly reasonable to say that his claim to be God is true. He's not exaggerating. He's not embellishing. His words make it possible. His works make it probable. And his witness makes it provable. So how do we respond to this? Well, there's another witness, a guy called Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament. And he wasn't always a fan of Jesus. He didn't always recognize Jesus as God. But when he did, it changed his life forever. And he wrote to the church at Philippi these words, Philippians chapter 2. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Paul said, although he was God, he didn't flaunt it. Although he was God, he humbled himself and he died a criminal's death. Friends, if Jesus is God, this is what it means for you and what it means for me. We need to submit to his authority. He has authority over everything. We saw that in Matthew 28. He has authority over demons, spiritual darkness, nature, sickness, sin, even death. Here's the question that remains for you and I. Does he have authority over you? Does he have authority over me? Listen to what Paul said further on there. It says, therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does Jesus have authority over you, over your life? If you are listening today, if you're online and you just stumbled across this and you're thinking, what in the world's all this about? If you're in the room today and you're not regularly a church person, but you've heard some things today about this guy that claimed to be God, Jesus, who then died on the cross for your sins and for my sins, but you've never taken a step that says, you know what, you're, what you said is real and I want to give you my life. You can do that now. Just say a simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. If you've never said that prayer, I'd invite you to say that prayer today and then tell someone about it after the service is over. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, most of you in this room have done something similar to that. Maybe not those exact words, but you've come to faith in Jesus at some point. 
But can I ask you, as you look at your life right now, would you suggest that Jesus has authority in your life? Has it impacted your behavior? Has it impacted the things you do? Has it impacted the decisions that you make? Are you willing to trust him as God? If Jesus is God, we need to submit to him and trust him. Maybe your prayer would be something like, Jesus, I gave you my life before, but I got this tendency to always try to take it back. Today, I'm choosing to release it back again, to submit to you once and over again and again. Maybe that's a daily thing you need to, to make for you. Friends, I want to challenge you today to embrace the transforming power of recognizing Jesus as God. And let his words inform your beliefs. Let his works impact your life. And let the witness of others inspire your faith journey. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for who he was and who he claimed to be. And Lord, we thank you that he could back it up. Lord, writing a resume could actually be fun to imagine all the different ways we can say who we are and what we've done and things. But Lord, we could never claim to be God and back that up. Lord, forgive us for the times we try to be God of our own lives. Help us to humbly submit to Jesus who humbled himself on our behalf. And Lord, give us the strength and the power to follow humbly, daily, the things that you teach. Help us lean in to your power, Jesus, as God, in whose precious name we pray. Amen.